Just a note or two about how things will be proceeding. It's great to see you tonight. I'll be doing an abbreviated type of lesson, but one that I think that we all will greatly profit from. An announcement before that on row three to my left, most of you, your right, is Matt Gibson. I've known Matt for a long time. Matt is one of the full-time instructors at Southwest uh, School of Bible Studies. Uh, a preaching school, wonderful school in Austin. Been there for about four years now. Uh, prior to that, he worked for some time, a good number of years, with the Riverside Congregation in Corpus Christi. We are delighted to have him here tonight. He'll be telling us a little about the work at Southwest. And right now, there are at least two students that are being supported by the church here at Westside. I think you'll be glad to hear Matt. By the way, Matt, most of the students at Southwest say that you are one of the nicest guys, but one of the hardest teachers. Uh, one of the nicest guys, but one of the hardest teachers in the school. And we're glad to have you. After the preaching and an invitation song, we'll turn things over to Matt uh, immediately. Three key events at three crucial times in the Gospel of Mark. Mark's portrait of Jesus Christ is amazing. He excitedly, enthusiastically has a great story to tell. But these three events are significant where they fall. And you can even see this in the Gospel of Mark. The three critical, crucial events I'm going to talk about. First of all, Mark 1, verses 9 through 11 that Danny read in our scripture reading. Three crucial events, the baptism of Jesus and God the Father speaking. Keep that in mind. Keep it marked in your Bible. The second passage well, the first one obviously occurs almost at the very beginning of the book. The second one occurs at the middle of the book of Mark. And it's found in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8. Mark 9, 2 through 8. And it has to do with the transfiguration. And how that there is this divine disclosure of who Jesus really is that becomes very evident to the disciples present on that occasion. And then, toward the end of the Gospel of Mark, Mark 15, Mark 15, verses 37 through 39. Mark 15, 37 through 39. And this has to do with the crucifixion of Jesus and two events in particular. How that the temple veil is torn from top to bottom and how a centurion of all people utters these words. Truly this man was the Son of of God. Now Mark is inspired of the Holy Spirit and is a powerful uh, teller of the story of Jesus. Of that there can be no doubt. But when you look at those three events, the first one has to do with the coming of Jesus and his earthly ministry. The second one has to do with the transfiguration of Jesus and his impending death. 
The third one has to do with the results of Jesus dying. How that the veil of the temple is torn from top to bottom and how when Jesus had breathed his last, the centurion said, truly this man was the Son of God. So we have the gospel encapsulated. But let me look at each of the three just a bit more thoroughly with you because it's amazing how related to one another they are. And it's because that's how the Spirit intended it. When you look at the first key event, that critical moment, it is God who speaks. It is God who speaks. And it's not only God who speaks, but it's God who says, This is my beloved Son. Catch that. Because that said in only one other place in all of the book of Mark. Mark 9, 2 through 8. Only twice does the Father speak. Mark 1, Mark 9. And on both occasions, He refers to Jesus as His beloved Son. There is a relationship and a status and a privilege that belongs to Jesus that makes Him unique and special, no doubt about it. That brings me to another idea to think about. When you look at the first case of the baptism of Jesus and God speaking, you might think that there's really not much in common with that and the third occasion in Mark 15, where it's a centurion that says, truly this man was the Son of God. But you're wrong. In all three cases, something is first seen that is recorded. The Spirit descending as a dove in Mark 1. Elijah and Moses present in Mark 9. Something has been observed in Mark 15. The veil of the temple has been torn from top to bottom. And then something is heard in each case. Think about that. This is my beloved son. In the second case, God says, Hear him there at the Mount of Transfiguration. And in the third case, the centurion, a Gentile, not a Jew, a Gentile, says truly this was the Son of God. Oh, but there's more. It is interesting how that in Mark chapter 1, describing the event of Christ's baptism, it says the heavens were torn open. Do you see that? That's different than Matthew and Luke's account. A different word is used. How that the heavens were torn open and God speaks. There is this divine breakthrough that's occurring. 
the term is used only one more time in the book of Mark. And guess what it's used in relation to? The veil of the temple being torn from top to bottom. Mark 15, 37 through 39. You put these events together... And they're amazing. In Mark 1, 9 through 11, it's as if God is saying to John and all those present at the baptism of Jesus, Oh, this is my beloved Son. He has come. He has broken through. This is the breakthrough of breakthroughs because He's put on flesh and dwells among you. What we have planned throughout all the ages is now coming. And His earthly ministry begins. In Mark chapter 9 verses 2 through 8, the transfiguration... Ask questions when you study the Bible. Why Moses and Elijah? Well, one pretty easy answer is this. They represent the law and the prophets. Another pretty easy answer is both Moses and Elijah knew what it was like to be persecuted by their own people. Jesus was going to know that too. But if you were to ask the typical Jew who was the greatest of the Uh, who was the great lawgiver, they would say, Moses. And it would be hard to name a prophet greater than Elijah, more dynamic than he was. And here is the real point of Luke 9. Because when Peter sees the two of them there with Jesus... He wants to erect an altar to each. Remember that? And God basically says, "Uh Uh-uh. As great as Moses and Elijah are, they cannot be mentioned in the same breath as Jesus. And notice that it is in this passage where God says, Hear Him. Hear Him! Now, in Matthew, uh, rather in Mark 8.29, Peter had already said, he'd already acknowledged of Jesus, You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the King. And yet, when he sees him in the presence of Moses and Elijah, the greatness of Jesus is obscured, showing that that Peter really doesn't get it. The seriousness and the gravity of what he has acknowledged. And as a matter of fact, in Mark 8, when you look after Peter makes that confession, it's in that very context, verse 31, that Jesus talks about suffering and going to the cross and raising from the dead, rising from the dead. 
And it's in that same context Jesus has to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Well, in the second case here, in Mark 9, when he says, hear him, it's right to say, hear anything and everything that Jesus teaches because he is the ultimate revelation from God. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. But that's not what they were really saying. What God seems to really be saying is you need to listen to what Jesus is telling you about his upcoming death. Why do you say that, Brother Mike? Because he says it twice more, once in Mark 9, this very context, and the next one in Mark 10. So the idea is he's repeating himself that he is the suffering servant that Isaiah wrote about so long ago in Isaiah 53. But the last one in Mark 15. The temple tearing from top to bottom. Who would have seen that? Who would have seen that? A very few people would have seen that. Maybe a very few priests. But they heard about the news. And God chose to record it from top to bottom as it were divine power tearing the veil. There's no veil between God and man any longer because of Jesus. And that's something that would be acknowledged by a centurion who was likely in charge of the entire crucifixion of Jesus. A Gentile. What a picture of Jesus. What a book. If you and I have any hope, it is because Jesus came and ministered and bled and died and the results of his life and death are experienced by us through faith, repentance, and baptism. By being added to the church, the body of Christ. If you're not a Christian, please become one tonight. And if you are a Christian and your vision of Jesus has gotten blurred because of the life here in this old world, look clearly at the message of Jesus in the New Testament. It'll give you the best focus you've ever seen, even if your vision is not so good physically. Let us stand and sing.